Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, the season is upon us. We are ready for our season preview. Can you believe it? I, I can't believe it. I never thought this this day would come, and yet <laughs> here we are. Um, and, you know, we're playing it by the hour at this point. Yeah, but, uh, the season is still in, in a little bit of jeopardy. First game could be postponed. We'll get into all of that. Uh, why don't you give us a cheers and get us kicked off? Well, cheers to that. It's another week that has gone by, and the Big 12, ACC, and the SEC seem to be moving forward, and uh, it looks like um, we might get some football. We got another good sign, too, that the uh, the college football playoff put out a tweet. They're like, they're on schedule, man. And so even without those two conferences, it looks like if everything happens, there's going to be a playoff, too. So how about cheers to that? Cheers. (laughs) Yeah, the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl are the two semifinal games this year. So to me, those are the two flagship bowls in in my head. And so having them as the two semifinals, like they definitely don't want that to be to be shut down for this year. And uh I think even maybe a year ago, I put out a tweet or two years ago saying, like, meet me in New Orleans in 2021, because I felt like the roster would be <laughs> would be geared up for this year in 2020. And it is. And we do have a good team, uh, a little bit different than maybe I imagined it, but it is a good team. And, and man, wouldn't it be something if we could squeak our way into the Sugar Bowl semifinal, uh, because maybe the Big Ten and Pac-12 aren't in there. <laughs> that would be... What a twist of fate that would end up being. <laughs> all, all things, all stars would have to have uh, aligned for that to come to fruition. Yeah, for real. Okay, let's get into the news and notes because we got a lot of things we want to cover. We got a big time transfer in the Illinois State CB Devin Taylor this week. This is something I really didn't see coming, but we lost Caleb Farley and we've replaced him with a guy who was virtually an All American at the FCS level. This kid, Devin Taylor, he played in 35 games, 31 passes defended in his career, and nine interceptions. And in 2019, he was a third-team All-American by Phil Steele, all-conference. He he led his conference with 24 passes defended. Uh, this is a huge pickup, man. Yeah, and he, he you know, he's 6'1", 200 pounds. I don't know if you've seen him, but that's before he starts packing on some hill gains, I think, as well. So he's... <laughs> He's going to be able to to lay the boom as well. So you can't say that it makes up for the Farley loss, uh, obviously. But if you were going to bring somebody in, he seems like a, a perfect fit for what was available and what's on the board in order to to backfill that 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 huge loss. No doubt about it. I, to get someone this late in the game, you have to call in a question like, is he going to be ready for Week One? Uh, and and we don't know that, but I did notice today he was added to the roster, so that's a step in the right direction. Uh, I think I think Fuente did have some comments that uh, he's getting up to speed and he has to go through certain COVID protocols, but once he's through them, Fu indicated like, yeah, he's played a lot of football, like he's gonna be in there. Yep. We also got a commitment from. Running back Kenji Christian. This is a, a commitment out of high school this time. 6'2", 200 pounds from Alabama. He's a pretty high three-star. He had 15 Power 5 offers, including Georgia. 
and he's now the fifth highest recruit in our 2021 recruiting class, uh, according to the composite. I saw the video of him like committing, and then I watched some of his highlights. This this seems like a very high quality pickup for the Hokies. Absolutely. Again, that he's pretty pretty jacked as well, running back, and the timing was um, unexpected. I didn't see it coming, and it was a, a nice commitment and, and pulling somebody out of out of Alabama. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he he brings to the field. So it's uh, it's exciting. I did watch some of the film as well, and I think he's going to be a good addition. Yeah, and I don't know if he'll end up at running back or if he'll like maybe move to wide receiver or tight end. He looked like he could catch some passes, and his frame is is very big. Like it seems like it can handle a lot of weight. So yep. uh, that 200 pounds is going to be going up. We got one more commitment from tight end Jared Gibble. He's six foot four, two twenty five, and he's a tight end from North Carolina. He's a bit of a low three star, but seems like a smart kid. He had a few Ivy League offers, including Penn and Yale. And hey, we needed the tight end in this class, and and I'm gonna just trust the coaches' evaluations on this one. Yeah, it'll actually tie into a little bit. Not obviously for for right now, but tie into our position groups that we go through and, and one of the areas that I called out. So I think it will be uh, very relevant to, to that conversation as well. Some quick hitters here, kickoff specialist, John Parker Romo earned a scholarship. That's very cool for him. Uh, probably some of the, the punts he had in the ND game helped him get that scholarly uh, when he had to come in and spot duty. So very happy for Romo. Uh, and Raheem Blackshear, we are still waiting on his waiver. He was denied initially. Now there's an appeal. If you recall, Brock Hoffman went through the same thing of getting denied and putting an appeal. We all thought he was going to get it, and Brock didn't get it last year. So I'm not optimistic, but from what I hear about Blackshear, I really, really hope he gets this approved. Yeah, I really hope he does. And it's been talked about a lot, but this whole waiver process is just, it's garbage at this point. And that's not even, that's not even, you know, all of the pissed off Virginia tech fans about what we've had happen with our guys. If you listen to the national media talk about it, they're annoyed with who, and they say this, they have, they have no, they have no um, horse in the race. They're not, they're just looking at it objectively and they can't figure out what's going on. And they all say, you know, it, it's, it seems completely unfair. So I know with our, you know, our maroon and orange on, we're we're really thinking, you know, it sucks for us. But even for people that are objective in their opinions on this, they can't figure it out. And something needs to be corrected. It looks like the one transfer rule will kick in next year and then we won't have to, the, we won't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's so inconsistent. And if you're a big time quarterback, seems like you always get approved. But if you're anything else, like it's a flip of a coin. So we'll we'll wait and see. And hopefully, Blackshear gets his waiver approved on the second time around. They announced how many fans will be coming into Lane Stadium, at least for the first few games, and it's just one thousand fans, and that pretty much amounts to family of players and coaches. And I. That's pretty much what I expected, but then you hear teams like Louisville who are going to allow 18,000 people, which is a third of their stadium full pretty much, 
And Georgia Tech, I think, is somewhere around ten or 11,000. So, yeah, I get it, only having 1,000. There's something about the Virginia State regulations that are being read into that as well, which maybe you can speak more to that. But, yeah, it's a shame that we can't have more players but or more fans. But I, I do understand it. I just wish there was kind of like an even rule going across the conference. Yeah. I've heard across at least the announcements that I've seen on Twitter, somewhere around – 15 to 25% occupancy is where most places are falling out. And we're obviously well, well below that. Uh, it just, it seems, I mean, you think about a thousand in, in lane stadium that can fit 70,000 and what that looks like. There's so much room to spread out. <laughs> you yeah. could, you could add 10,000 more people and nobody would be even close to each other. Right. Um, right. But you know, I, I do believe that, the state regulations are are factoring into that. There was also the keep jumping campaign that came out last week. And why don't you, what, what was that all about? At face value, you had three options. I've called the Hokie Club and I talked to them about my donation specifically. At face value, I'll work backwards, not the way that they listed it out. You could get a full refund of your donation and your ticket cost uh, was option number one. Option number two was you could roll forward your ticket um, to the next year and have that uh, be in place. And then you could convert your donation, your per seat donation to a straight donation, which makes it fully tax deductible. Or the third option being you could do both. You could convert your ticket price that you paid and your donation per seat donation all to fully to tax deductible uh, donation. Now, so I have, I have club seats, so it's a pretty hefty donation for not being able to watch a single game in the stadium <laughs> yeah. for me. So when I called them, and actually one of the uh, members on the key play clarified this for me a little bit, and then I called to find out, you can mix and match that, that, that amount. So like for me, I am rolling forward my ticket for next year, and then I'm donating a portion of my my donation, my purse seat donation to get to my mm-hmm. spot, but not the not the whole thing. So then next year I'll have a net amount that I have to pay to get myself back up to kind of my full donation amount. So I, I wanted to keep that. donating. You know, obviously we have dire financial situation going on right now. Um, but I just you know, for me personally, I wasn't in a position to, you know, not see a single game in person and then just that said, you know, I would be making it fully tax deductible. So um, seek your CPA if you are really thinking <laughs> right. about, you know, making, because it can be a little bit confusing in, in what you're trying to do and, and what's deductible, especially since the the um, deduction on your donation, that law changed during the Trump tax changes I had, I think happened at the beginning of 2018 if i'm if i'm remembering correctly so now it's it even 18 more or 19 I, I remember when that happened but yeah. this is all because one because we're not allowing fans in but two because there's a as you said a 50 million dollar at minimum uh problem yes. <laughs> in the athletic department that's that's happening because of this so they need people to keep donating to make up the gap and I think they said like 50% have yeah. like kept jumping quote unquote. So that that's good. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. I'm people, 
you know, should always give what they can and if they want to to Virginia Tech. And and it seems like a lot of people are still doing that. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Do as much as you, you can. And, um, you know, a portion of mine is the donation. I think of it as a donation. And that's how I had, had to factor the money in. And then mm-hmm. their portion of that is I do feel like I'm paying to get seats, right? For me, right. it's both. Um, so I kind of ran the numbers and I, I split it up that way. Moving on to some football stuff. The AP poll is out. We are in the receiving votes at 27, but it should be noted that this includes all the teams, including the Big Ten and Pac-12, because like the All-American voting, they all voted before the Pac-12 and Big Ten had officially canceled. So Ohio State is still in there and so on and so forth. Uh, Without the teams that are not playing, we would be 18th in the poll according to the votes. So UNC was number 18 in the poll and uh, Notre Dame and Clemson, the other two quote unquote ACC teams this time with Notre Dame, uh, they were one for Clemson and 10 for Notre Dame. So we've got three teams in the top 25, but once they cut out the teams in week one or two, or whenever the teams start playing, we will be in there. I would assume as long as we don't, you know, botch our first game. Yep. I would agree. (laughs) So the latest on the NC State game, something I mentioned at the top, is that it could be postponed. And that is because there has been a cluster of cases at NC State with classes resuming. They've shut down all athletic activities. There are currently 27 positive cases in their athletic department. Uh, That's not just football. That's across the department. And our football game with them is 18 days away. The rules state that they have to quarantine for 14 days. Um, And so obviously that puts a very short amount of time for football players and whoever those football players were in contact with a short amount of time to get back and, you know, get back into the swing of things before the game is supposed to be played. So it, to me, it just seems like this game's going to get postponed. Yeah. I don't see any way you basically have, depending on how the days fall, four to five days of prep. And that's if everybody comes out of quarantine right on that 14th day and, and hits the field. So that would be brutal for brutal for them. I think it's probably going to get postponed. Fuente addressed it and said, I think we just got to, we're going to have to be flexible. This is not going to yeah. be the first time it happens. It's going to happen throughout the season. So um, the one it, thing we don't know is how many players were affected from the football team and, when will they resume for the players that weren't affected? You know, like is the whole athletic department closed down for 14 days or are they going to go back in a couple days and the guys who are quarantined aren't coming back? Like that's the thing we don't know. Like we might know a little bit more in a couple days and it could be like, oh, they're going to play. They're just going to be down 10 guys. Yeah, I think what's happened at other programs, I've, I haven't paid enough attention to it because – at a certain point, I've started to block out all the COVID discussions because it's been yeah. so much. I think what's been happening at other programs is they stop all practice altogether. Everybody stops. Those guys go into quarantine. They wait a few days. They probably run some more tests on the players. And then three days later, or whatever the case may be, practice resumes for everybody else is what it seems yeah. like has been happening at other programs. So it's not as though everybody is is sitting on the sideline for the whole 14 days. I'm not giving up hope that we could still play on 9-12 versus NC State, but both teams have the bye week 
two weeks later, so for us, the week after UVA, that we could play that game. That would mean that we have a long stretch of games with no buy, but it would be doable. So we'll we'll see. There is the opportunity to uh, make up the game and literally postpone it instead of cancel it. So uh, if, if nothing else, it would be fascinating to open the season with UVA because <laughs> right now UVA is opening the season with us. They were supposed to have an out-of-conference game, I think, versus VMI, uh, and that's not happening. So yeah. like their first game is us, and it would be – it would be fitting if our first game was them, <laughs> considering it was just the last game of the last regular season. It would be it would be fun. It would also give guys like Devin Taylor and everyone else a little bit more time to get up to speed. Yeah, there could be some benefit there, though. Yeah, every what's the best way to put this? Every time you eat up one of those bye weeks, because this isn't going to be the first time that happens. That's yep. one less that you you have for flexibility in another game. So yeah. Um, I think we you don't you don't you know you don't want to eat out too many of those too quickly because then you quickly right. run out and then you're and then you're really not playing games or it has to come in on the back end. Well, it's funny the bye week is so early that unless the NC State game or UVA game were postponed, that spot would never be filled. So I think maybe strategically it was put at that third week because they knew the start dates could be hard with everyone coming back to school. And and if that's the case, they were geniuses because we could very well use that first bye week in, in week three there. Yep. So the last and probably most important news and note we have is that the 2D podcast is officially sponsored. We have a, a fresh sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer in Gaithersburg and Dominion Wine and Beer in Falls Church have agreed to sponsor the podcast for this football season. Arash Tafakor, who is the proprietor of Downtown Crown Wine and Beer, is, has been a friend of the podcast and a friend of mine for a long time. We actually recorded a podcast a couple years ago from there, uh, live recording, and had a lot of fun. And so this is a great marriage, a, a beer store with a podcast that is talking about beer every episode. I, I couldn't imagine a better marriage. Yeah, and I wouldn't even characterize it as a beer store. It's one of by far the best beer stores, both of them in the area. Um, and that's not just coming from me and, and not just because he's sponsoring us, but everybody I talk to that goes there, they have the best selections, difficult. He's got a great distributor network. He has beers that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, the Falls Church uh, setup is incredible. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they um, just expanded that whole outdoor area now. Yeah, and they I've heard during the weekends that they have you know live music out there, and it's awesome. They have boards up there where you can see how much is left in. I think they have 20, 25 beers on tap. How much is left in there in case you're trying to get a beer? So okay, yeah, you, know, you make sure you get one before it get, gets kicked. Uh, it's He's, he's, you know, a genius. He does interviews with a lot of the, um, you know, key brewers and finds out a lot about what they do. So, um, can't speak, you know, high enough about the setup that he has at both spots, both, in, uh, Gaithersburg and in the Falls Church location, which is right near me and awesome. Yeah. His, he and his brother have both done a really good job at uh, keeping the stores updated and with the times and with COVID and everything else, they've been doing a lot of curbside pickup. They both have nice outdoor setups. You can get crawlers and growlers at both places as well. 
Uh, but they're just good places to hang too. I mean, they're they're basically like bars. There's yeah. <laughs> they're they're beer and wine stores, but they're also great hangout spots. So, again, very happy to have them as a sponsor of the podcast for this season, and hopefully, it's a uh, mutually beneficial. I, I you know when I was talking to Arash earlier, he was he was excited about the opportunity. So this is great. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we do our our beer break. But for now. Let's hop into our season preview part one. We are going to break the season preview up this year. We're going to do just offense and defense. And with the defense, we'll probably tack on special teams. But with the offense, we are going to talk preseason rankings, uh, kind of where we're coming in, where we left last year, where we're coming in this year, a little bit of schedule notes, and then the position groups. And I'll start with where we finished 2019. And it was a tick up from 2018, that's for sure. We finished 8-5, and 5-3 five, five and three in the ACC. We got our first win against a ranked opponent at home since 2009, and that was when we beat Wake. We got back-to-back shutouts against Georgia Tech and Pitt. That was one of the coolest parts of the season. But we did lose our last two games despite scoring 30 points. So the defense, it, it kind of went up and down, and the offense kind of went up as the season went on. In the S&P, overall, we finished 38th. On offense, we finished at 56th. Defense, 39th. So we were a top 40 defense. And in special teams, we were number 28. I sent you the rankings earlier, Robbie. Before I had sent them, did you have an idea of where we'd be coming in? Like, What was your thoughts on where Virginia Tech would start the season if it were a normal year? I think they came in about where I expected. I, I don't know... I don't know that enough attention was really paid to. I know we lost our last two games, but a lot of people, at least the people that pay attention to the program, point to the fact that once and then Hooker came in towards the end of last year, you had the close Notre Dame uh, game that we almost pulled off, um, and and really you know put together a string of really strong games and and offense there. So I think that's you know I would have put us a little bit higher. I don't know if that takes into account, you know, the loss of of Caleb Farley, but I think it's probably about right. Although I would see upside to to the numbers that 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 you present there. Yeah. So Athlon had us at twenty four, which included all the teams, obviously, because their magazine came out earlier in the summer. The projected S and P, which came out right after signing day, was thirty second. So that was a little bit lower, but. FPI and CBS Sports uh, both have us at 18th. One factored in the other teams and one did not. So CBS Sports has us at 18, uh, but it easily would have been like 25, 26 if you had included other teams. The FPI is including all the teams and has us at 18. So that's a very favorable ranking for us. The coaches put us at 24th, and as I mentioned earlier, the AP poll put us at 27th. Again, both of those polls included all of the teams. So if you look at all this, we're, we're basically a consensus top 25 team right around 25, but I would have thought we would be a top 20 team. Like I, I really felt like everything we were bringing back, and maybe if we had just won the bowl game, we would have been. I know that's kind of dumb, but like that's how people make their polls. Uh, I, I think if we had beaten Kentucky, we probably would have been a top 20 across the board. Um, but we didn't, and both that and the UVA game were close and winnable, and like you mentioned, Notre Dame, very winnable. Um, 
we could have easily been way higher uh, on a lot of different polls or statistical measures or whatever. But this is where we are. And part of me likes the idea of not being ranked going into the season. I, I agree with that. I think it's a number of different factors. Obviously, there's the defensive shakeup, uh, which is an unknown to, to almost everybody of what it's going to look like there. Um, people see on paper a lot of loss in the wide receiver transfers uh, and not necessarily knowing the depth behind the big names in um, in the wide receivers and the not enough attention probably paid to the offensive line than maybe it should be. So I think those three factors, some people may have caught one of those, two of those, and how much weight was put on any one of those three things, I think is really where you see that variability and why that you don't see us higher and maybe in the rankings or, or a top 20, as you alluded to. One thing I found encouraging was that on Bill Connolly's returning production rank, we were sixth. Now, that ranking came out right around signing day. So it doesn't account for Farley, and it doesn't account for Garbett, who we are pretty sure we're going to lose for the year here. Um, But we did get Devin Taylor. We did get Justice Reed, who's a defensive end, you know, the kid Mm -hmm. from Youngstown State. And... I would still say that returning production rank, if you factor those two guys in, would be a top 10 worthy rank. Bill is supposed to put out those numbers again, although last year he said that. I don't think I ever saw them prior to the season. So keep an eye out for Connolly's production rank because he does try to factor in all the transfers at some point this summer. Yeah, I think he said this was the year that he was trying. Last year he played around with it, but this was the year that he was going to try and actually factor in transfers, which is... It's already complex enough what he does and how he puts it together. I can't imagine trying to throw in transfers and factor that in as well. So hats off to him if he found a way to do it because that seems like an incredible effort. It does. And trying to factor in a kid like Taylor who just came, and there could be a lot of that happening. I know LSU was trying to find a corner I just saw something come across Twitter about LSU trying to find a corner this week. And it's like the season's starting this month, essentially in less than a month. And people are trying to still go after guys. And I have to give our coaches credit because they have gone out and gotten a lot of high quality transfers for us the last two years. Yes, we have been in the news with the portal over and over again. And that stuff is starting to die down. But to the same token, we Deshaun Crawford, starter on the defensive line. Again, Justice Reed, he's going to be a starter. Devin Taylor could very well be a starter. I could go on and on. Brian Murray, he's going to play a lot of corner for us this year. Our coaches have done a very good job going out and getting guys like Khalil Herbert, who we're going to talk about today and could very well be a starter. Yep. Let's go over the schedule real quick. We did a full podcast on the schedule, so this isn't going to be in depth. Just a few notes to, to wet your whistle here. In the CBS Sports Rankings, I told you guys that we were 18th. That was 18 out of the 76 teams that are playing college football this year. So I went through and looked at who we're playing, where they came in out of 76, and we play two top 15 teams, uh, which would be a top 25 equivalent if you're missing 40% of of all college football teams. So the, the two top 15 teams were Clemson and UNC. 
And then we're playing seven of the top 33 teams, according to CBS, which 33, that's about half of 76. So seven of the top half teams and then four teams in the bottom half. Though with the loss of Sage Surratt, you might argue that Wake is closer to uh, you know BC than they are to Pitt. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That's a pretty big loss. It, definitely a big loss. There's a decent drop-off to Duke, NC State, BC, and Liberty. Those teams are all hovering around uh, 50, except for Liberty, which is down at 64. So I don't know how you see that as opposed to how you were thinking about it, but yeah, this is a f- pretty much an all-ACC schedule. So it's it's tougher in some ways than a normal schedule, but there are still some teams that we should definitely beat. Uh, BC and NC State being two of them. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And for better or for worse, I mean, the way that things set up right now with assuming that there's going to be three conferences, you you really have to think that the SEC, no matter what happens, is putting in two teams into the playoff. And so that's going to be their strength. They're going to, I haven't run the numbers the way that you did, but of the top 25, my guess is they have, off the top of my head, nine probably ten. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah, in in there. So that strength of schedule that the committee will end up factoring in is going to get two of them in there. So you really have two open spots, one of which assumed to be Clemson, and then one you know or somebody you know knocking off Clemson, and then somebody out of the 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 Big Twelve, which appears to be. Uh, Oklahoma or, you know, there's some talk about Oklahoma state and what they could do this year. And that could be, um, that could be something to watch out for. The one thing that this schedule varies greatly from last year is the quality of the quarterbacks on the schedule. We've talked about this a couple of times, how last year, what were the good quarterbacks that we actually faced? It was Ian book. Yeah. Perkins, Jamie Newman was, that's Were there any other good ones? Um, Sam well, Howell. Yeah, Sam Howell, because he was at UNC. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So, so that that was about four good starting quarterbacks that we faced last year, um, and this year you look at our schedule and it's Lawrence, Book, Howell, Derek King, yep. Mikhail Cunningham, Hartman, Awake, and Kenny Pickett. So, and we did face Pickett last year. Um, and he was in that their offense was in the struggle bus. So I wouldn't have even qualified him as good. And he's on the fringe, but as a, the names I read off, it's a lot more quality than we played last year. Yeah. I think I listened to uh, cover two did their top, their top quarterbacks, uh, top 25 quarterbacks where they both ranked 35 and then put them together. And not a lot of those names all came to the top, but the, the way that they kind of thought about it was a lot of good, interchangeable quarterbacks. They're all about really kind of real, you know, good, you know, not excellent, not, you know, top 10 quarterbacks, but really, really good quarterbacks. Um, So there's, there's certainly a lot more of them this year. Yeah. And they had Hendon hooker just outside the top 30, I think on that cover two ranking, which obviously I'm going to take exception to because um, I'm biased towards Hendon hooker, but Hendon probably falls somewhere below Howell and Book, but with Derek King and Michael Cunningham at uh, at Louisville, somewhere around there. Yeah, and and 
it really depends on who developed over the offseason, who could, you know, improve while on their own or in quarantine and has, you know, the weapons to get things done. And and we'll see. Because any one of those guys could shoot up into the top 10, mm-hmm. as, the, as Cover 2 was saying, or they could just have a completely crappy year and just fall completely out of the top 40. So it, it's going to be very interesting. But not having Caleb Farley <laughs> at defensive back could uh, – could rear its ugly head with all these quarterbacks we got to face. That's right. Let's get into one of these position groups, at least one, before we take a beer break. And the offense this year, I have super, super high hopes for. And and I want to talk about the offensive line. I think they are going to be the key to whether we have a better year than last year or a much, much better year. And a lot. Some of that depends on Hennon Hooker's development, but I think if Hennon Hooker played exactly the same, and the offensive line just takes the step forward that they should take, it could be a far, far better year. Yeah, just that that alone that you just stated should just lead to an improvement. Should being the operative word. And like I said earlier, we were fifty six in the offensive S and P plus, which is not very good. We had hopes of being in the top 40 going into last year, but we thought we were going to have a second-year starter and Ryan Willis and more you know more options of the offensive line and you know Hoyt got banged up and and things took a turn and we all know that and we didn't really find our groove until after the Duke game. So maybe that 56 isn't fully representative of how good we were at the end of the year. But it gives you an idea of the improvement we do need to make. And the reason I'm excited about this offensive line is not just the depth that's coming back, but the talent that's in-house right now is is honestly, it's, it's hard for me to believe how much talent and depth we've been able to accumulate. This could be our best O-line unit in over a decade. I went back through all the way to 2009 looking at tackles for loss given up you know by the offensive line and we haven't had a stellar year in in a very long time and we all know the struggle the offensive line has had since the days of logan thomas and we thought we were going to take a move up last year and we just always seemed to hit a setback but there is no excuse for a setback this time i counted 10 guys with fbs starting experience including brock hoffman on this team yeah, I mean, you just rattle off three names, just as you know the you you put together the depth chart, which I I agree with. Between Darisaw, Hoffman, and Nestor, right there, three of your five is that's a nasty group to be starting off with. Not to mention uh, Smith and Tenuta uh, in there as well, and then even behind them, you have guys like T.J. Jackson that can step up absolutely. Cannon has shown the ability to. Hudson has moved all over the place and and been able to do it. He has a ton of versatility if there's injuries or things like that. Um, But but even just those big names with Nestor now having Hoffman and um, the hype on Darisaw is is really getting through the roof because I think people are expecting big things from him. Yeah, and those 10 guys with starting experience doesn't include sixth-year senior Tyrell Smith, who (laughs) before last year... When he got hurt, he had played in every game of his career, 
on special teams mostly, but he's played in 44 games at Virginia Tech. He hasn't started one, but he's played in 44. He is a leader on this team. He was voted the team captain last year. Um, so I would expect him to even be able to step in and play some snaps somewhere on that offensive line. So you're talking about 11 deep. That that didn't include Culver. That doesn't include Hanson. Hanson. It doesn't include... Uh, the freshman Parker Clements, who has been impressive as hell in preseason camp. So not only are we talented, we're deep, and we are deep for years to come, as none of my projected starters on this offensive line are seniors. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, <laughs> next year should be stellar. But I, when I look at this and look at the two deep for for this offensive line, they really – something has to go badly or there has to be sit outs due to COVID or injuries or something along that for this, not to be a top three offensive line unit in the ACC. That that's where I would peg them. And that should be the goal. Absolutely. Is, is top three offensive line in the, in the ACC. And that's where Athlon put us in the preseason. They put us behind Clemson and behind BC at number three in the offensive line position group. And even Fuente has hyped up the offensive line a little bit. So that that goes to coaches don't often, you know, pump up one group or or really hype up anyone preseason. But even Fuente on that Sons of Saturday interview said like he's excited about this offensive line, and I, I think that that got me a little excited. There is a question about just who's going to start where with Hudson and Hoffman because. Yep. We don't know for a fact who's going to start at center. Will it be Hudson? Will it be Hoffman? And if Hudson does start at center, does Hoffman move over to right guard uh, and start instead of Nestor? And think about that. Your <laughs> your highest recruit that you've gotten in years now might have to sit because you just have too much talent on the offensive line. Yeah, I, I mean, Hudson had some issues last year. I mean, we remember some of the, the snap problems that he had during some of the games. Obviously, he's got another year on his belt, and he started to clean that stuff up. But, um, you know, you would you would hope with how much focus there's been on Hoffman and how excited everybody has been and everything that he's been through to see him out there, not anything against Hudson, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited to see him take snaps. I'm, so I'm hoping to see him out there. Well, I think Hoffman is going to start, whether it's at center or right guard. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be starting. Uh, Luke Tenuta is the other question. Will he start or will it be Silas? What Silas has going for him is every game that he wasn't hurt, he started. (laughs) But when Tenuta came in, he played really well. And there were other times when Silas didn't miss an entire game where he didn't look like he was in the best condition and was pulled out and Tenuta was put in Yep. also. So Tenuta made five starts, but he also went in at other times as well. That's right. There are some key reserves. Austin Cannon, you mentioned, TJ Jackson, Zach Hoyt, who was supposed to be our starting center at the beginning of last <laughs> year, and now he's not even on the two deep that I sent you earlier. Like, again, him and Tyrell Smith, that would make like – yeah, 11 guys that we could choose from to play at these positions. Um, and it, you have talented kids in Culver and Hanson, so we, we've got a chance to be really special. Yep, and I think you know, we'll get to the tight ends, but I think that's another piece to this in terms of blocking and that sort of in the up front that could be really interesting. But we'll hit that in a little bit. 
All right, let's take a quick beer break before we get into the running backs. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I'm throwing a curveball to uh, that even Pete doesn't know about. So I'm on I'm on some medication right now for I don't know probably four six weeks. I can't I can't drink right now. So oh man, yeah. So I have had to go on a search for non-alcoholic beer, um, and I have done plenty of research testing out different ones. So for this podcast and probably the next two. I'm going to be helping out any of those out there that don't drink alcohol, but maybe do like beer. Um, and this one is an oatmeal stout and it's from Bravis Brewing. It's out of California. It's out of Costa Mesa, California. It has less than 0.5% alcohol, which I've come to realize thinking about whether I can drink or not drink non-alcoholic beer. I think a, a very ripe banana has about the same amount of alcohol in it. <laughs> and that's not a joke as a non-alcoholic beer. So they'll either say no alcohol or less than 0.5%. So this is actually pretty good. I try and go with like the stouts um, and and some of the, the better IPAs because without the alcohol, um, the flavor is not great. But honestly... Um, after done doing this for like about a week and a half, no hangovers, no anything. I think this is going to be my, like during the week drinker from now on this <laughs> beer and a couple others that I've found because I love beer. Like I enjoy the taste. Like a lot of times I just have a few beers. I'm not really getting a buzz. I'm not, I just like the taste. I always try and explain that to my wife and she's like, what are you talking about? And now I've really proven it to her because I'm just drinking non-alcoholic beer. It's an oatmeal stout. It still tastes, it doesn't have that alcoholic bite to it, but it does have, you know, that oatmeal and it has a stout flavor to it. Um, and I think if I gave it to somebody and they weren't really paying attention, it may not be their favorite beer, but I don't know that they would necessarily know the difference uh, with this one. So That's interesting. Um, it's an oatmeal stout. Bravis Brewing uh, is the first of the two that I'll do on here. That's non, uh, non-alcoholic. Well, how about that? Our first non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised, but I, I understand. You know, you can't mess around with those medications. I know our buddy Richard is a fan of the the NA beers, as he calls yes. them, and he uses them as a tool to binge drink. Basically, like he'll use them as an in between, like a regular beer, and then a non-alcoholic, and then a regular beer, just to to extend his drinking. Yeah, <laughs> I tell my wife that I'm going to grab a nost out, so. She, the, Non-alcoholic stouts, the Nostout. And, uh, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking an alcoholic beer. In fact, I'm drinking a fairly alcoholic alcoholic beer. It's 7.9%. It's Other Half Space Broccoli. It's an imperial pale ale. And Other Half is actually a brewery that is coming to D.C. And I think um, you were telling me about that last week. They're, they have a spot that's opening up. Yep. And in fact, our new sponsor, Downtown Crown, They've been doing releases of other half beers every week uh, in advance of them opening up in the D.C. area. Yeah, there's been a big push for them. They're moving into um, Ivy City is where they're moving into is the, is the location in D.C. They're supposed to have a pretty big spot. And I think them moving in there, they've been doing a huge push with these new releases, trying to get their name out there so that uh, they can build up the hype for the new brewery. I don't know when it's supposed to be completed. It could be done already, um, but it's uh, 
it's um everything I've had from them is is, is really good. Yeah, people love other half beer. It's from Brooklyn. And I had a buddy come down from New York, and he brought a bunch of other half with him, and now it's all in my fridge, so it's pretty cool. And this one, Hazy Imperial Pale Ale, uh, it's on the bitter side. It's This is not one of those sweet lactose sugar uh, hazy IPAs. It's, it's a little bit more bitter, uh, but I like it, and it's definitely something that I would you know keep as a regular drinker. The Space Broccoli, the, the can has some interesting artwork on it, kind of like a piece of broccoli with some rockets coming out of its butt. But, uh, but yeah, other half they're they're going to be in DC. So keep an eye out for them. And, uh, like I said, if you want to get that beer, downtown crown is putting it out every week. They have a new release of other half and they, as Robbie said earlier, they get stuff that a lot of other local places cannot get. Yep. All right, Robbie, I want to talk about these running backs we have a very crowded room, especially it's kind of amazing considering who we lost. We lost McLeese, who was our leading rusher last year. Uh, we had a couple other guys transfer, but we had more guys come into the program. We had two freshmen come in. We had a Juco transfer. We had Khalil Herbert come from Kansas. And we also had some talented guys left over in Holston and King. Uh, I'm curious as to what you think about this room and who do you think could be the starter this year? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think about the room is crowded. I, I think we have nine on scholarship at this point, running backs. If, uh, if my math serves me correctly, I know it's jumped around a little bit, uh, which is pretty, pretty deep. So, but in terms of who's going to end up starting or getting playing, I think I'm setting myself up for the expectation of running back by committee. I think we've had enough years under Fuente, uh, and Brad to to know that's typically their go-to regardless of how people are playing. Somebody might get a little bit more, but I, I suspect it's going to be a mix of King, Herbert, and Holston is my guess uh, that we're going to see. In terms of who's going to get the most carries out of those three, I would probably lean towards Herbert. Uh, but you know, we have kind of a known quantity, at least within our own program with Keyshawn King, but you know, and Keyshawn King last year, you remember he was third on the, in the team with carries with 79 in comparison, hooker had 123. So, uh, to his, his, we, I think we need to change things up a little bit on that, but those are the three that are going to play the biggest role. If we remember what happened last year, there was definitely a committee and a struggling committee at that in the beginning of the year. And then after Duke, we kind of saw the emergence of Deshaun McLeese. And they did go to him more and give him more carries. And maybe that was the influence of Jerry Kill. Uh, Maybe that Puente just felt like, you know, maybe we need to ride one guy more. But we saw King's carries decrease significantly, I feel like, Mm -hmm. uh, as the season wore on. And McLeese really took that role as the lead running back. And so my opinion and what I'm hearing and just what we've seen from Khalil Herbert so far is that he is going to be the clear-cut starter to me. And that you're you're right in that it's going to be Holston and it's going to be King and maybe some Marco Lee, the Juco transfer as well, to fill in the gaps of the other carries. But if you look at Herbert, what he was able to do at Kansas – 
1,700 career rushing yards, 5.4 yards per carry, and then tacked on another 100 receiving yards in his career, 14 total TDs. Like, this isn't some guy who never got to play. He played, and he actually had 187 yards on 11 carries in one game against BC last year. Barton Simmons, who is on one of our favorite podcasts, the Cover 3, said he could be the most impactful transfer in the country. So I like Herbert's chances to start and carry the football and carry the football a significant percentage more than everyone else on the roster. In fact, I just saw a picture of him today on Twitter, and he's got like Saquon Barkley legs. Yeah, he he's definitely big. You know, going back to last season, and maybe some of this is, you know, me misremembering, but I feel like as McLeese started to get more carries, uh, started to be more productive, he averaged 4.8 last year a carry. I do remember Keyshawn King kind of learning from him and learning almost and starting to gain more yardage. If you remember towards the end of the year, King started the Georgia Tech game. Yeah, he started to break off longer runs, have better vision, almost learning from the running back in front of him and kind of, um, you know, growing up kind of uh, underneath McLeese and watching his development and bringing that into his own game. And I'm hopeful that, as you said, if Herbert is the one that's the primary running back, that King, as kind of the secondary running back, follows suit in that same way. I mean, King ended up with 4.3 yards per carry uh, on the season as an average, which is pretty good. I mean, that's that's where you want to be. True um, freshman. Yeah, as a a true freshman. So I'm hoping that if it is uh, Herbert, that same type of dynamic happens where maybe Herbert's taking most of the carries, but King's making the most of what he's getting with his. Yeah, and King is explosive. We both love King's potential long-term. He's a willing blocker in addition to just being very shifty and having good vision. Uh, but he did have some ball security issues, and, and we even kind of complained a little bit about that when he when he got benched for fumbling a ball after he was down. But these are things that are going to happen to a true freshman. He showed amazing potential for how young he is. Um, what's what's kind of interesting is that Halston, Jalen Halston, a much maligned running back who's had a lot of injuries, he's been running with the ones with Herbert mm-hmm. in, in some in some of this preseason scrimmages and and practices. So, is it possible that maybe Halston is in line as an upperclassman and a little bit of a bigger back? Halston's up to two eighteen. Yep. Uh, that he could be ahead of King. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely possible. I mean, that would that would seem to speak to you know having a little bit more of a not a bruiser but a tougher tougher back to type of mix things up, and I think that's that's helpful. And you know, if you remember back with you know Stephen Peoples, and that was you know that mix up that we used that paid off pretty well when he came in, um, a little bit more forceful of a back, a little bit more. Um, kind of head-to-head contact, willing to try and you know earn yards using his body rather than shiftiness. So maybe maybe that's what we end up seeing. So now it's time we talk about Raheem Blackshear, the other transfer. He he came in from Rutgers, and it, it's hard. I didn't know where to put him. I didn't know whether to put him as a running back or wide receiver because at Rutgers, he had seventeen hundred yards from scrimmage, twelve total TDs. And almost a thousand total yards in one season in 2018. But he catches a lot of balls. He is dynamic, 
And what we've been hearing from the coaches and coming out of camp is that he's the real deal. Like he is a, him and Herbert could be our best two position players this year, potentially. And, and that's, that's very high praise because there's a lot of guys with talent on this team. I, again, we don't know if he's going to be cleared, but if he is cleared, I think you could see a lot of the jet sweep action from Blackshear. I think you could see him playing in the slot when Robinson isn't out there. I, I think they would use him in a lot of creative ways. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I I really do hope that he gets he gets cleared. He's out there. He's practicing right now. Everybody has said so. He's focused on on playing this year. But um, let's hope the NCAA does the does the right thing. The guys left on the running back uh, depth chart. We've got Terrius Wheatley. He's been in the program a few years. Uh, he's never really got on track. A little bit of injury issues with him. Uh, Taj Gary, he's a redshirt freshman, and he's he's a bowling ball, man. He's 5'8 and 221. Um, I'm 5'8. <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> so I can't even imagine what it would be like to be 221 pounds, but that that is a, a big dude. Uh, we mentioned Marco Lee. He's the Juco transfer. He's the heaviest on the team at 225, but he's 5'11. So that's a little bit more of a of a prototypical running back. But I love Taj Gary's high school tape. He he had a horrific injury. I think he broke his femur when he was a senior. But he even played last year. I think in the Rhode Island game, Taj Gary got a few carries. So I think uh, down the road, Gary will be a contributor. But this year, with the depth that we have, I don't see it. Uh, most recently, Fu did mention both Hampton and Brunson, the two true freshmen, and their physicality. So that's good to hear something positive about them. Uh, but I guess the last running back we haven't talked about would be QP, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm just looking back. He was what fourth on the team in terms of uh, in terms of rushes. <laughs> he had fifty for two hundred fifty four yards at um, four point eight average uh, a carry. So, um, but the, as soon as you see him hit the field, though, uh, I think everybody knows what's coming. So that, that yeah. that's the uh, the the one issue. Doesn't mean they can stop it though. That, that's well, obviously not when you're almost averaging five yards a carry and people know exactly right, right. what you're going to do and you're not going to throw it. So um, that's that's another addition, absolutely. I think I still sometimes I, I dream about when he busted up the middle against UNC and ran for like that fifty or sixty yard touchdown. That was just absolutely gorgeous it you know it was the shades of logan thomas against miami just a huge quarterback busting up the gut but quincy can move too like he he was moving on that play so in short yardage i absolutely think we'll see quincy in there on some running plays if you're done with running backs i'm ready to move to wide receiver are you yep, good i'm good all right the wide receiver room had the biggest overhaul of any group because we lost four guys to the portal and we brought in a couple, but losing David Hazleton is, is a big loss, especially in the red zone. He had eight touchdowns last year, despite being injured for a couple games, 527 yards. And he transferred to Missouri. I'm still not quite clear on, on what went wrong with, with Hazleton. I felt like he could have finished his career out here and, and it seemed like we were going to have him and Trey together for a few years and, and really do something, but but he's gone. Yep. But I still think that Turner and Robinson are extremely reliable targets for us going into this year. 
Turner seems super excited and, and doesn't doesn't stop tweeting about his excitement for the season. I mean, that's that's for sure. He um, Trey is active on Twitter. Yeah, he he's pumped. I think. Uh, I mean, he had he had a, over 550 yards receiving last year, uh, almost 16 yards per catch. He had four touchdowns. So, I think that's going to be. I think that's going to be huge. I mean, he he really needs to. Um, you know, he really needs to be the bell cow, I think, for this, the the wide receiver, wide receiver group. That said, you know, we saw the promise from Robinson last year. I mean, he still had 400 yards and not quite as many. He only added one touchdown, but we saw um, what he was able to to do in his development throughout the season, which is exciting. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that continues. So, um, you know, we, we lost a lot of guys. I think we have... Um, not as much depth or at least solid depth as I would like to see here. Um, but I think it's, you know, the top guys have enough and we've, we've done it before with, you know, Ford and just Phillips, you know, we've done it with just a couple guys before and had a, a pretty potent wide receiving core. And, but you do put yourself at a little bit of risk and, and that's where you really get into what the two deeps going to look like and, and who we have behind them. There's no doubt that the wide receiver group is the biggest question mark on the offense be- because of who we lost. I mean, we expected Grimsley to be a contributor. We expected Hazleton to be a contributor. Like, even way back when, Phil Patterson, we had projected, you know, down the line, he'll play for us. All those guys are gone. And so who is going to step up is the question. The staff did us some favors. They went out and got Changa Hodge from Villanova. We have Jaden Payout coming up. You know, he was a pretty stud recruit, very fast guy. Caleb Smith, he showed some flashes last year. And Evan Fares, another transfer from Kansas. These are your candidates for that second outside wide receiver spot opposed to Trey Turner. So I don't know who it's going to be. If I had to handicap it, I think I'd go with Hodge. But we'll talk about the tight ends, but Mitchell is also going to be a de facto wide receiver this year. Yeah, he has, so he has let's to. and he yeah, was last he, year. He's going to be playing on the outside. He's going to be playing in the slot. They're going to use him in different ways. He's going to be running the ball here and there. But let's leave Mitchell out of it for now. Um we need to figure out who's going to play that other outside spot consistently. And I'm excited about the Hodge pickup. Yep. Thousand yard receiver from FCS. He plays in a good FCS conference. He caught 65 balls. You know who else caught 65 balls? The combination of Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson. Yeah. So he caught just as many passes last year as those two guys combined. He he can catch the football. He's a speedster. Uh, I like him to potentially be the other starter on the outside. Yeah, I think so. And then I think Payout has gotten a lot of praise in the off season. So in terms of the two deep and who can be behind him, I think that's, that's a solid, um, a solid, you know, number two on the outside as well. Um, it just gets, it gets, it does, I wouldn't say it gets thin beyond that. It just gets questionable. We just don't know what yes. we have. So it could very well be, um, be fine, but we're not going to know until the, until these guys hit the field, what we're really dealing with. Um, when we have to take, whether it's Hodge or, or Turner out for a play uh, or Robinson or, or, or who it is that's going to really step up and, and be in there for those guys. Caleb Smith showed us something early in the season, and then 
after the UNC game, he literally didn't catch a pass. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really know what happened there, if there was injuries at play, but Fairs and Smith, they're going to have their shot to to crack into the 2D. Pretty much everyone is. I wouldn't even count out Tyree Saunders and Dallin Wright, the two true freshmen. We'll see. It, it, hopefully we can get one to two or, or maybe even three of those guys to to, to step up and, and fill in fill in that too deep to to make us feel a little bit more confident in the season. But it's definitely a position that I have my eye on and a little bit of concern about. Yeah, on the too deep that we're going to put on on Twitter, uh, I had Blackshear as the second slot guy because I didn't really know where to put him, and I felt like he was going to see the field enough. And it just made sense to me that I needed to put him in the two deep and there was already enough guys at running back. So I threw him in the second slot <laughs> spot. Cause I think that's the kind of player that he'll be. Yep. Let's move to tight end. And this position is going to help supplement these inexperienced and new to the team wide receivers, particularly Mitchell. As we mentioned, Mitchell had a breakout year, 21 receptions, 361 yards, two touchdowns, but his rushing stats, I think were my favorite thing. He had four touchdowns on seven yards rushing. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that same stat, and I was blown away and completely forgot about that from last year. I, it, was, it was so bizarre. It was those it was those sweeps at the goal line. If there was ever like a one-yard goal line rush, they, they did a lot of those sweeps to Mitchell, and it was effective. It was very effective, and it was good blocking, and he, he had the speed to get to the outside. So he'll be a factor again uh, this year, and then... Nick Gallo, which I think the team has been very excited about seeing him. Very good blocker from all that we have uh, we have heard. Um, and so it's really those two. Then we have um, Penne, our, our boy from overseas that, that that's coming over. But the tight end spot is, um, is a little bit lean, uh, as I would uh, characterize it, as we were talking about, you know, bringing in another tight end. So... Um, you know, not that you need a ton of tight ends, but uh, it's hopefully Mitchell and Gallo can can hold up, and we'll see what happens um, with Drake and uh, and and Penny. Yeah, I, Gallo has been getting a lot of love from the coaches since he stepped on campus. He's going to play a lot this year, especially blocking and special teams. But I'm interested to see if they get him some passes as well, uh, it's, especially if Mitchell has to play on at wide receiver or on the outside or in the slot or wherever they're going to move Mitchell around. Uh, Drake Delius still on the roster. Will he finally flash some of his high school talent? I, that remains to be seen. I, I wouldn't count on it, but I'm rooting for Drake because he was a very highly touted recruit, especially according to the two, four, seven rankings. So we'll see. And, and Penne is with the team now, as far as I know, he is in Blacksburg now. He's no longer stuck in France, so that's good to hear. And they're very excited about his athleticism. And yep. so I think they, they believe he will be the starter down the line. Let's move to our last position, which is the most important position on the field, quarterback. We've got what we think this time, really we think this time, a returning starter under Fuente. How about that? <laughs> it finally has happened. It only took, we know. had our chances with Josh Jackson and Ryan Willis, but in both instances, the guys were done for the season pretty much after week three or four. So we are rooting for Hendon Hooker to (laughs) make it past the first few games and start an entire second season because Fuente was 
brought into tech and known as a quarterback guy. He was a quarterback himself in college, and he had a history with Andy Dalton and Paxton Lynch of developing quarterbacks. And at Tech, he's never had a guy play two seasons back-to-back. So if that were to happen, the hope is that very good things would happen for that quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, you would absolutely hope so in season two, just for Hooker's general development. And he came in, you know, he didn't play the first four games, and then he he hit the field. So he didn't even get a full season. So this is going to be... You know, hopefully his his first full season where we can see what he can do. He should have great offensive line protection in front of him. Um, hopefully a lot less scrambling than he had to do last year. Wasn't a ton of it, but he did find himself outside the pocket, um, you know, fairly often and having to make throws that way. I'm hoping he has a solid pocket and we can really see what he can do with his his arm. And if not, that blocking and the tight end blocking hopefully will set him up for, um, you know, runs and good runs again, like he had last year um, when it's necessary to pick up yards. Yeah, 356 rush yards, and that running capability gave life to our offense, starting with the Miami game. I mean, it was so clear his proficiency in the read option game uh, was much, much better than what we were getting out of Ryan Willis. And so if you just look at the points we scored in the games that Hooker started as opposed to the games started by anyone else, we're talking about a 13-point difference, 36 points per game in the games Hooker started to 23 points per game in the other five. So that that is massive. That is two touchdowns you're talking about when Hooker started the game. And I'm hoping that continues this year. Unlike Willis, Hooker also seems cool and collected the entire game and our biggest our biggest problem with Willis we loved his fire but it was always like can he control it and for Hooker he is just always seems to be in control yeah and if you remember back to last year there was a ton of player uh, encouragement around Hooker and yes. a lot of unity around him that, you know, talk about how they wanted him. And then when he came in as the starter, people were pretty vocal. Um, whether well, it I was think from Trey sources. Turner actually like announced it on his Instagram, like ready for my dog to start this week or something like that. And yeah. Fuente hadn't even announced that Hooker was going to be the starter yet. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, you know, he definitely has the team around him, uh, shows the leadership ability cool, calm, collected, and I'm really excited to see if he takes uh, another step forward after what was actually, you know, it was a really good year. He only had two interceptions, and both of those came in the UVA game. Uh, if you can imagine, as a, uh, um, you know, his his first season starting, only two interceptions in those games, that's pretty incredible, and it happened in a rivalry game, and those things happen. Uh, and otherwise, you know, a really solid I wouldn't even say second half. He played a little bit more, but a second, you know, two-thirds of the season. Yeah, and I'll I'll emphasize that point. This offense demands a lot from the quarterback. Quick reads, mesh point, accuracy, all that kind of stuff. And his efficiency numbers are off the charts. 9.6 yards per attempt is phenomenal. He finished 23rd in QBR in the nation, and he had 165 quarterback rating, which is up there with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's it's not far from where Trevor finished the year. So in all the efficiency metrics, he was good. His total numbers 
obviously they're not 13 touchdowns, 1500 yards passing. Even in eight games, uh, um, even if you take out, you know, he could have played more games. It's they're not great numbers, but what he was able to do efficiently was amazing. And yeah. it, it, the 9.6, it was it was actually better than Lawrence and better than Hal in terms of yards per attempt, and it would have been fifth in FBS. So him and uh, Michael Cunningham from Louisville, they weren't like qualified for all the numbers, but on a per throw basis, they were some of the most efficient quarterbacks. So we'll see if Hooker can capitalize on that. Can he do it for 11 games? Can he do it snap in and snap out? And I think a lot of it is situational. We talked about, you know, Mitchell with the, the four goal line, you know, sweeps to the outside I think I think what I want to see from the offense is, you know, some more, and I know it's always easier to look at other teams and be like, oh, I wish we could do that. More of those kind of 30, 35-yard touchdowns, like the long touchdown passes rather than, you know, ending up on the five-yard line and having to grind it in. Um, I think we found ourselves last season on a lot more of those positions that really subtracted a bunch of numbers from what, you know, his stats, at least from total touchdowns, would have ended up being. And he did have 18 total touchdowns if you include the rushes because he had five rushing TDs. So what can we expect from Hooker this year? Uh, in 11 games, if we can play them all, I would hope that his completion percentage goes up from 61 to 64. I think that is a reasonable jump. And then maybe from 1,500 to 2,200 pass yards, and if he stays just above that nine yards per attempt, which that's even asking a lot, because honestly, 9.6, that is that is ridiculous. That is really, really good. So if he can stay 8.5 to 9.0 yards per attempt and maybe get 25 total TDs, that would be excellent because I expect the run game to be a big factor this year. I expect the, the, a lot of the touchdowns to come from there. You know in the jet sweep game, we're going to have touchdowns there. So... Uh, for him, he doesn't have to do everything because we do have the offensive line. We do have a crowded running back room. Uh, we do have weapons. So it, it's a perfect opportunity for him to just build a little bit. He still has eligibility left. Everyone's going to have who knows how much eligibility left after all this COVID stuff. So I, I think he can just progress a little bit, and this offense can take potentially a huge leap forward. Yeah, I think mentally for him – it's going to be, and he, hopefully he's getting through that now, he's going to have to adjust from having to kind of be everything in terms of the run game to now being able to realize that, and assuming the offensive line does what we think it's going to do, to realize he has more time into the pocket, he to realize he has more time to find open receivers, to, that he doesn't have to do everything you know, himself. That's, that's a change in the way that he has to approach the game, which I think is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Absolutely. Let's talk about the backups before we uh, kind of give our overall thoughts on the offense. And Braxton Burmeister, the transfer from Oregon, he's someone that we've heard bits and pieces about. And right now, Fuente has been saying that Hooker, Burmeister, and QP are all taking even snaps in practice. And classic Fuente, it's August 25th, and we still don't know, you know, know in quotes who the starter is going to be i think everyone assumes and it probably will be 
Hen and Hooker, but Fuente likes to drag it out for as long as he can. And I do think that there's a good chance Quincy Patterson won't be coming in if Hooker were to get hurt. I think it will be Braxton Burmeister. The way that people talked about him, it sounded like he would be the guy. And he he's you know relatively polished. He's a you know I know he's had his challenges in the in the past and at Oregon, but uh, there was a lot of good talk about him. You know, Fuente I think said when he came in, he told him directly he was going to give him a shot. He wasn't coming in to be a backup. He was going to get a shot at at being the starter if he if he could earn it. So I I would assume that it's going to be him in that in that position um, if, unless Quincy Patterson has taken some, some real steps. In yeah. The past and they've game. indicated he, he still needs more polish. And and that was clear that Quincy, the system he played in high school and, and all that, he was going to need a couple years of development. And what's cool is when they did that sit down in the hard hat series with hooker and Quincy, Quincy was like, I'm cool being a backup, learning from the older guys. Like I like it here, and I, why would I go somewhere else? Like so, that was encouraging. He he's he wants to develop, and he's willing to sit. I'm I'm sure he doesn't want to be third string, but um, he's gonna get to play regardless. He's yep. going to be on the field for Virginia Tech, regardless of if he's you know the starting or backup quarterback. Yep, I agree. So let's give these overall thoughts. Uh, lots of guys returning. We were all talking about our returning starter number. That number has fluctuated with, you know, the loss of Keene and Hazelton and guys coming in and out. But there are still there's a lot of production returning on this offense. And with the O line being, I guess the question is, will the O line be as good as we think it will be? If if it is as good as it should be this could be a very special year. We need Hooker to improve on last year's progress. We need the run game to make a leap. We kind of need Khalil Herbert to be the real deal to take that next step forward to me because I just don't think that Holston or even King, who I know has a lot of potential, like they're not going to be the game breaker that potentially Khalil Herbert can be. So we need a lot of things to come together, but also – if just one or two things comes together, I still think we'll see improvement over last year. Yeah, I would agree with that. And Herbert is, I think the, the, the running backs and what we see from them is going to be, is going to be really important. I have, I have a lot of confidence in what hooker is going to do in the offensive line and um, the wide receivers. I know we have some question marks in terms of depth, but I think our top end is, is really solid there. We have two really good tight ends and we'll just have to see what happens in the in the run game. I don't know that we're necessarily, you know, going back to the the run game of old, but it would be nice to see that to continue to take steps forward with some more kind of I don't know the best way to put it, but you know, when when the run game started to really come together towards you know middle to the you know second half of last season, it was just a lot more you know kind of north south running like you know finding holes and getting get yards field, getting yeah. chunks getting four yards getting five yards i mean it started to get to be pretty consistent and that's what i'm hoping we build off of this year i'm hoping too that we are a little bit more explosive this year because while the offense was improved 
I still wouldn't say there was just a ridiculous amount of big plays. We were still kind of having to like plot down the field, like slowly but surely. And yeah, we got some big plays in the Georgia Tech game and and some in the UVA game. But by and large, we still weren't the explosive team that I hope that we can be and that Fuente had at Memphis back in the day. So will we improve upon that 76 in yards per play? I certainly hope so. That That's what having a more experienced team should lead to. And if you look at the S&P at 56, I hope this year we're in the top third of teams. So in a normal year, that would be 40 to 45. For this year, that's a top 25 team. There are 76 teams. Our offensive S&P should be in the top 25. That's uh, That's a reasonable goal that I think we can hit. I would agree. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm going to give you, just last but not least in this thing, uh, our scoring offense. We moved up to 30.8 points per game last year. That was good for 49th in FBS. The year before, it was 29.8, and the year before that, in 2017, we were 28.2. So we're basically moving up one point per year. If we make the leap I think we can make, I'm going to peg the over-under, and I'm going to ask you where you think we're coming in. Over-under, 34.5 points scoring per game. My guess was going to be around, I think last year I guessed 32, and I think we came in at 31 if I remember correctly. You came just about 31, yeah. So I was going to say, well, I'll say this. And this isn't to be, I don't want to bring up a negative to bring up a positive, but with the new defense and the new defensive scheme, I think we're going to have to score more points in order to stay in games. It's just an assumption. Maybe we come out there and it's rock solid and we can play low scoring games. So I'm going to go with 35 points per game. And that's partially be, yeah, I think the, (laughs) the over so um, that's why I'm saying it's kind of a negative, but I think that's if you're p- asking me picking over or under, then that's that's kind of something I have to factor in. I I understand now. I see. Uh, perhaps some shootouts, maybe. Then is what you what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we can hit the over. I I think 35. Let me let's put it this way. In 2016, when we had Evans and Ford and Bucky and Cam, we were at 35 points a game. I think we can match that point total. I don't necessarily think this offense will be as good. I, I don't. That's really hard to say. That the offense set a lot of records, a lot of school records yep. in 2016. And so, if we can approach that, um, we're doing something right. That's for sure. But I, I'm hoping to get to right around that 34, 35 points per game, and I, I'll take the over. I'm going to be optimistic, and I'll take the over and uh, come in right at 35. But that's pretty much all we got for this podcast. We are going to cover the defense, the special teams, and the record predictions in the next podcast. But I do want to throw it to Robbie for a, another beer review first. Non-alcoholic beer review. For, Non-alcoholic. For, yes, for, for all, um, all those straight-edge people out there. Um, this is the 17-mile porter. It's by Surreal Brewing Company. It also has less than 0.5% alcohol, so um, pretty potent, as you can as you can imagine. <laughs> um, it is, again, another darker beer. 
Uh, this one also out of, this one's out of Campbell, California, and only 50 calories, zero grams of sugar in it. It's, does it taste like anything? <laughs> it, it does. It's actually one of the better ones that I've had. It's a little unique in, like, if you threw some alcohol in this, I think it would be a really good beer. It's the, you can, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, but it's, it, my wife loves this one. It's one of the favorite, her favorite ones that, uh, that I've gotten. It's a porter, so it kind of masks the the lack of alcohol and uh, a lot easier. Where it's a little bit with the IPAs, it's a little little tougher to do that. I like it. If I was, these are two of the darker beers that I've found that are the best non-alcoholic that I've been able to find off the shelf. So um, this this podcast, I'm going with the darker beers. Next podcast, I'll go with what I've been able to find on uh, on the IPA front. Yeah, you're doing that. Uh, you got a wintertime vibe going here, and and that actually reminds me, we tweeted out a picture from the account of the pumpkin beers hitting the shelves already. <laughs> I mean, it's it's mid August, and I think Oktoberfest hits at the end of July. But now, like you know, you got Shipyard doing the pumpkin head. You got uh, the <laughs> Cigar City has a couple of ones out, and uh, the Staples Pumpkin is out, and remember if you want pumpkin beer in September or October, you do kind of have to buy it now because <laughs> they do sell out and they don't buy anymore. So I, I'm, I'm not saying you have to drink it now, but I am actually planning a trip to the store tomorrow or the next day to go buy my pumpkin beer just so I have it for September. <laughs> I don't know how pumpkin beer ages. Uh, if that's uh, I don't, th- I don't know if you, yeah, but I don't think it. it'll be any different. Like if you get it now or get it later, like, I don't think it's like brewed at a different time. Yeah, no, you're probably right. It's, uh, it's just going to sit on the shelf a little bit longer. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I guess that's it. Uh, Robbie, Thank you for giving us those. And you know what? There's probably some people that appreciate those NA beer reviews, honestly. And they both sounded pretty tasty. They're tasty as you can get for a non-alcoholic beer. So, um, and like I said, I, I've become now accustomed to them that I think I might save my alcoholic beers for the weekend when I can loosen up a little bit more and not get, uh, not get in trouble with the wife or anything like that. And then during the week, I might stick with some of these because, it's nice. I, I can have, you know, three or four of these, do something, watch a movie and wake up and I feel, you know, just like a brand new day. Nothing. <laughs> I like it, man. Uh, all right. That's going to do it. Thanks again to our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Uh, we're going to be doing an interview probably with Arash either – next week or the week after or sometime soon here to tell you all about uh, the stores and update you on everything there. But uh, pumped to have them as a sponsor. And make sure to hit us on Twitter. Make sure to hit us on Instagram. And also check out Dominion and Downtown Crown on Instagram and their websites, which I think is just Dominion Wine and Beer Store and uh, Downtown Crown Store. And you can order all their beers online. Make sure to hit up our website if you want to check out the beers we've had. Stream any podcast. It's 2DVT.com. And email us anything. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. 
I don't think there's anything else I can say, Rob. Uh, I'm just adding to the list of the end of the podcast uh, stuff yeah. here. But. Yeah, we, we don't have a TikTok, so uh, don't don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, and I will be posting to uh, our Instagram um, the pages to find Downtown Crown as well. So you don't have to look far. You can just follow us on Instagram, and, you, and you'll see the Downtown Crown pages because they put up all the beer releases on there. You definitely need to follow them because you'll you'll be – You'll be running to the store if once you see like the new stuff they put out because it always looks so good. And until next time, when we're previewing the defense, special teams, and giving you our record predictions, go Hokies. <laughs> <laughs>